Well, I have a question to start the message today. Does anyone here think it's an accident that today's message on prayer is called when God says no? Sometimes we need that question answered in our individual lives, and today we also need it as a church. And so let's just jump right in. I want to start with this assertion, this statement. God promises many times in the Bible to answer your prayers. Here's one great example of that promise, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And you might want to underline, circle that word will. God answers every single prayer. We've talked about this. He just doesn't always answer the way we want. And no is an answer. Uh, Grow or wait is an answer. God always answers prayer. He just doesn't always say yes. And we actually shouldn't be too surprised by that if we read the Bible, because in the Bible we see God saying no to many great men and women of the faith many times. God said no to Abraham. No to Moses, no to Elijah and Daniel and Job and Jonah. God said no to Peter and no to Paul. God even said no to his own son, Jesus. And sometimes God says no to people like us. And when that happens, we often find ourselves wondering, if God is truly loving, he has the power to control everything, then why is my request denied? Why do some people get miracles and others don't? Why do we pray for sick people and sometimes they get well and sometimes they die? Why do we pray for relief from pain and some people get relief and other people don't? Why do some couples pray for a child and for some of them that child comes and for others that child never comes? See, you have people praying for the same thing, and their hearts are just as sincere, all of them claiming the promises of God, and some of them don't get the answer they ask. Why does God sometimes say yes and sometimes say no? Now, if you stop to think about it, I think it'll become clear that there's some fairly obvious reasons God doesn't always say yes. Let me give you a few of them. One example is this. Some prayers conflict with other prayers. You know, when, when two people pray for opposite things, God can't say yes to both. Like if a child is praying for snow so the school is canceled and his parents are praying for clear weather so they can go to work, God can't say yes to both those requests. Uh, and in the fall around here, every time the Raiders play, good and godly people are praying for them to lose. And then there's other people that are praying for them to win. So what's God going to do? You know, every time there's a political election, there are some people sincerely praying on one side and some on the other side. Some people get their prayer answered. Some people don't. In other words, lots of sincere people are praying for opposite things. And then sometimes some prayers would require God to take away someone's freedom to answer. What if someone came to you and said to you, I'm praying that God makes you marry me. My pastoral advice to you is you should run quickly. But God's not going to answer a prayer like that. He doesn't force you to fall in love with someone. God doesn't even force someone to stay in love with you. I mean, some of you have prayed, God, make my spouse not leave, but they left. Because God doesn't force us to do the right thing. And sometimes in our freedom, 
that God grants us, uh, we do what is wrong. And then think about this. Prayers for healing cannot always get a yes this side of eternity. See, when you pray for someone who's sick to get well, most of the time they do. But at some point, that prayer won't get answered. Because God never meant for us to live forever on this earth. Everybody dies. See, God made us to live forever, just not on this broken planet where there's sorrow and suffering and sadness and sickness, where there's racism and injustice and abuse and and war. I mean, I'm glad that I don't have to live in this brokenness forever. I want to live forever, but I don't want to live here. I want to live in God's restored world, his earth that he's going to create, recreate a new heaven and a new earth. But then there's this, to be honest. Many times an answer of no is unexplainable and tragic. Because sometimes you make a legitimate request and you can't see anything wrong with it and then it doesn't happen. It makes no sense. It is heartbreaking. It's unbearable. And that's when you go, I don't get it. See, when God says no, it's going to be the greatest test of faith in your life. When God says no, he's going to be asking you, will you trust him or not? So what do you do when God says no, particularly when there's a tragic accident, an unexplained death, a a dashed dream, an unfulfilled longing? You, You prayed, you've longed for something for a long time, it's been denied, and it seems unbearable. Well, today I want us to do two things. First of all, I'm going to give you three possible reasons why God would say no in your life. And God could have thousands of legitimate reasons, but we'll just look at three. And then, more important even than the explanations, I want to share with you what you should do when God says no, how you should respond. But before I get to the uh, three explanations, I I have a caution, and I really would encourage you to write this down. Only use these reasons I'm going to give you to comfort yourself. Never use them with someone else in pain because you don't know why God said no to them. See, the three reasons we're going to look at may have nothing to do with this person that you're talking to, and it is very presumptuous for you to assume you know, and it doesn't help them. Do you understand explanations never comfort? If my wife were to drop dead tomorrow night and I knew the reason, it would not make it any less painful. And we often think that if we understand why, it would be easier. It won't be. It won't be. But when tragedy happens, we always ask a question. We always ask the question, why? We always ask why. And I want to say to you, it's okay to ask why. Even Jesus asked why on the cross. My God, my God, why? But did you notice if you read that account, Jesus doesn't get an answer. So what will you do when you don't get an answer? See, some things you're only going to understand in eternity. I think we find a clear example of this in the story of Job. You read that book and you see Job was like the wealthiest man in the world. He was the Jeff Bezos of that day. But on a single day, he lost everything. All of his children uh, were, were killed by marauding terrorists. All of his crops burned down. All of his goats and sheep and cattle, everything that he had, they died. He lost all of his wealth. And then on top of that, he, he got this unbearable, terrible, painful disease. And it all happened in one day, and all Job could do was sit on the ground in a heap of ashes 
and mourn in despair. But Job had three friends. And at first, his friends, well, they do the right thing. They come and they sit in silence with him for seven days. And that's what a friend does. And in fact, when someone is in grief, what you should do is show up and shut up. See, the deeper the pain is in someone's life, the fewer words you can use. If someone's having a bad day and you, 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 you meet with them, you can talk to them for as long as you both want about it. It's fine to do that. But if someone in their life, a loved one, has just died, what you really need to do is just show up and shut up. You know, people always say, well, I don't know what to say to someone in tragedy. Here's the good news. I'm going to help you out right now, okay? Don't say anything. You don't need to. In fact, most of you shouldn't even try. It's a bad idea if you start trying to say stuff. They just need the ministry of your presence. They don't need your words. And for seven days, that's what Job's friends do. They sit there, and they're the best friends that Job could possibly have as they sit in silence and carry the pain with him. And as you read the story, what you see is they don't get in trouble until they open their mouths. (laughs) And the rest of the book of Job is mostly Job's friends trying to explain the unexplainable. Job, let's tell you why you're suffering. And they think they're helping Job by explaining, but they're only making it worse. You get to the end of the book, and part of what you see is that God castigates those friends for trying to explain the unexplainable, presumptuously trying to tell Job something they knew nothing about. God says to Job's three friends, I am angry with you, For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. I actually like that because if you read this entire book, it's encouraging. Job himself actually complains a lot to God. God, this is terrible. God, I hate what's going on. I haven't done anything wrong here, God. And God says, it's okay to complain when you're in pain. But what's not okay is giving explanations that are not true. So with this in mind, let me give you these three reasons why God sometimes says no. Here's the first one. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. See, God can see things we cannot see. God sees the whole picture. We don't. God sees into the future. We can't. God sees the implications of every decision. Hebrews 4.13 says, He knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from Him. See, because God sees it all and we don't, sometimes God doesn't answer prayer the way we want. We never can see the unintended consequences of what we're asking for, but God sees that every, un, every answered prayer just starts this chain reaction. He knows how that prayer is going to ripple down through time and influence the rest of your life, sometimes even out into future generations. If you could see the, your life the way that God sees your life, do you think you would pray differently? Of Of course. You would never ask for the wrong thing because you would realize what that would lead to. You would never say, oh, I didn't see that coming because you'd see it coming. You know, it's like we've been saying a couple of times in this series, we don't give our children everything they want. Why not? Answer, because we love them. Also, because we see things they cannot see. And sometimes God may say no to your prayers to protect you from something you cannot see. Proverbs 2.8 says, God guards the course of the just, 
and protects the way of his faithful ones. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean God protects you from all trouble. It doesn't mean God is going to take you out of the frying pan. I think you've probably noticed God tends to leave us in the frying pan. He just turns us over a few times to keep us from getting burned, right? Do you remember when we studied Daniel's life not too long ago? You remember the lion's den? You remember Daniel, he, he prayed, God, keep me out of the lion's den. He didn't want to go in the lion's den. God said no. But God put him in the lion's den, and then God shut the lion's mouth. That's a better story. That's a bigger miracle. Would you agree? You remember the three men also in the book of Daniel who defied the king's order to bow down to his idol. And he says, the king says, and we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And you know they prayed, Lord, keep us out of the fiery furnace. God said no. But God walked with them through the fiery furnace, and they were not burned. Only the ropes burned, not them. See, sometimes you will say, God, don't let me go through this fiery trial. And God is going to say, you're going through it. But when you come out on the other side, what you're going to find is that you'll be free. Free from that habit, free from that fear, that guilt, that, that shame. Those things that have bound you, sometimes the fiery trial, that's what burns them off. Sometimes God says no to set you free. You know, Apostle Paul, if you read the New Testament, you see he had this deep desire and this this long-term prayer to go to Rome and preach the gospel in Rome because Rome was the center of the world. Paul wanted to take the gospel to the heart of Roman culture and from there just see it radiate out all around the world. And he asked for that, and God actually said no to his request to do what he wanted to do. But God actually ended up saying yes to getting Paul to Rome. Because Paul got to Rome, he just didn't get there the way he wanted to get there. He got there in Rome as a prisoner. And he spent his time in Rome in a prison, not free to preach, not out on the streets of that city, not taking the gospel into the halls of the emperor or into the Senate, the Roman Senate, where the powerful people were. He was stuck in prison. And while he was in prison, not free to preach like he wanted to, Paul ends up writing many of the letters that we now have in our New Testament. He he ends up doing something that he never would have done if God had not put him in a prison where he couldn't do anything else but write. See, God had a bigger perspective. God could see what Paul couldn't see. And Paul might have thought Like we think sometimes, God, you're keeping me from doing what I'm good at. I'm good at public speaking. I'm good at debate. I should be out there teaching the good news to the important people in Rome. God said, Paul, you're exactly where I want you, chained in this prison because you're writing letters that people are going to read for thousands of years. You're writing letters that millions of people are going to read and through your letters are going to come to know me. How many of us sitting here today, our lives have been changed forever because of something Paul wrote while he was in a prison in Rome? God has a bigger perspective. But secondly, sometimes God says no when he has a better plan. Sometimes 
Sometimes God says, I intend to answer your prayer, but I have a better idea than what you're asking. You know, in his infinite wisdom, God can have a better plan. I love Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Are we surprised (laughs) that God has better ways and higher thoughts than we do? I mean, why would we be surprised that God might have a better plan? Why would we be surprised that God is playing 3D chess up here and we're playing uh, score four down here, right? God knows so much more. He plans things and does things that we could never conceive. I'll give you one example of how this might work. Some of us get into debt sometimes, right? All right. Nobody wants to talk about it, but I'm going there. And we get into debt sometimes, and it's our own fault, isn't it? We've spent money we did not have to buy things we did not need to impress people we don't even like. You know, we we do stuff like that, and we find ourselves in a mess. And sometimes we pray and we admit it. We say, God, I did this. I, I, I did it. I know it's my fault, but God, I'm just asking you, will you bail me out of this debt? Now, how can God answer this prayer? Well, what we usually ask for is the easiest way. Like, God, you know, if you just let me win the lottery. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, God's not answering that prayer. All right? Uh, God, more often in this situation, allows us to work hard and, yes, painfully struggle, often for a very long time before we get out of debt. Why? So that we would learn what we need to learn to not do that again. And you know, if you're honest with yourself, that an instant answer to your prayer would probably lead not too far down the road to you being exactly where you are right now. That was a good place for an amen to. You guys blew it. But it's true, isn't it? And so God has a different plan. Uh, You can write this down. It won't be on the screen. The way that God answers our prayers to grow our faith often requires a delayed answer. See, instant answers to prayer probably, most likely, most often, make it less likely you're going to grow. And so sometimes God delays because waiting for an answer helps you to grow. Did you know that in the Bible, many of the greatest people of faith did not get the answers promised to them before they died? And let me just say this kind of a side note. This refutes the whole health and wealth prosperity gospel nonsense. And I'm using the word nonsense because that's the only word I can use up here. This teaching that's out there where some people actually teach stuff like, if you have enough faith, you can get whatever you want. And if you don't get whatever you want, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is lies, and it's from the pit of hell. And it damages people. And I've seen people's lives destroyed by it. It's just not true. And if we read the Bible... Clearly, we should see that because lots of great people in the Bible, far more godly than any of us, they did not get what they asked for. They stayed sick. They remained poor. They lost their lives. Hebrews 11, 39 and 40 is talking about some of these great heroes of faith. This is what it says here. These were all commended for their faith, yet, listen to this, none of them received what had been promised. God 
had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Got a circle, plan something better. God has a better plan. Write this down. It's an important life lesson. God has all of eternity to fulfill his promises. And there are thousands of promises in the Bible, but God's not limited by your 80, 90 years here on this earth. Some of the promises that God has given to you, he will only fulfill in eternity. And when you look back, we've talked about this before, when you look back, you're you're probably glad many times that God did not answer your request. Amen? I mean, if you have ever been to a high school reunion, you should thank God (laughs) he did not answer your prayers, right? God has a better plan. Third thing, write this down, God says no when he has a greater purpose. See, God has a purpose for your life, and if you're praying something not in line with his purpose, he's not going to give it to you. Psalm 57, 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And let's just be reminded, God never owes you an explanation for doing what it is he's doing. He's God, and there are always going to be some things you will not understand. But he does say, and you should always remember, he has a purpose for your life. See, not everything that happens in your life is good. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens because this world is broken and you make bad choices and other people make bad choices that impact you. But God says, I can even use bad things. I can fit those things into my purpose. I mean, let's just come back to where we are right now as a church. Right now, we may not understand why we cannot get into this new building. I mean, why would God delay that? Why would God not want us quickly into that building so we can do more things for him, so we can serve more people more quickly? Why would God not want this Now, I mean, delay doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But we, as a church, we don't know all of God's purposes. And so we need to trust him, that he's doing something even if we don't understand it. I mean, what if God's purpose for our church has something to do with testing our faith corporately, making us stronger as a group of people together? 1 Peter 1, 7 says the purpose of these troubles is to test your faith as fire tests how genuine gold is. Your faith is more precious than gold, and by passing the test, it gives praise, glory, and honor to God. What if God is going to take us as a church through this time and bring us out of it more dependent on him, stronger than we are now because we've been relying on his strength? See, this is true in our lives individually. And it will also be true for us corporately. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Before we move to what we should do, I'm going to quickly give you three important realities that you need to know if you're going to be happy in life. Here's the first one. We will never understand some things until heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us of this. There are some secret things that God doesn't reveal to us, but there's the things in his word that are revealed to us. The things we don't know, we just need to accept that we're not going to know them. 
We stay happy because though we don't understand, God is with us. He, 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 he gives us his presence. Second reality you need to know is some things will never change until heaven. I mean, if this arm of mine gets cut off, it's not getting put back on. Not in this world. Going to have to wait until heaven. And our world is broken, and there are some problems. No matter how much we pray, God's not going to take them away. And sometimes God says to us, I just want you to learn to manage with this. I want you to learn to trust me in this. I want you to grow through this. The third reality is that sometimes our suffering is for the benefit of others. And this is called redemptive suffering. And how many times, some of you have seen this in your life, how many times does your greatest pain become your greatest ministry? How many times do people pray and God says no, and that no becomes the most powerful way they can help other people? Someone prays for a child, and no child comes. And they don't understand why, but they end up adopting a child, and they change that child's life forever. John Baker prayed for instant healing of an addiction, but it didn't happen. And instead, God led him to develop a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And hundreds of thousands of people for years and decades now have been blessed because he didn't get that answer to that prayer. Rick Warren says, you have no idea how many people Kay and I have counseled about suicide in the years since our son Matthew took his life. Rick Warren says, we're not going to waste our pain. He says, you have no idea how many people struggling with a mental illness we've been able to help because we had mental illness in our family for 27 years. And Rick Warren talks about this. He talks about how he prayed for God to take that away from his son for 27 years. And God said no. But now God is using that pain to help other people. God wants to take the greatest pain in your life and use it for the benefit of other people. Maybe God wants to take your unanswered prayer and use that to bless other people. You see, we should not be surprised that God might want to do that because he did that in the life of his son, Jesus. Jesus suffered for our salvation. And when God allows you to suffer to help other people, that's really when you are most like Jesus. It's not easy, but we grow and we become like Christ when we suffer and when we use that pain to help other people. Okay, now, what I should do when God says no. So how do you respond? How do you live in the light of some unanswered prayers, unanswered requests? Number one, trust that God does everything in goodness and love. Just keep trusting, even when it doesn't feel loving, that God does not do anything unloving. God does not do anything evil. Everything God does, he does for your good because he loves you. Psalm 25, verse 10 says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Why don't you underline all the ways? God doesn't have any unloving ways. Romans 8, 28 is one of those verses that that's so familiar to us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we need to remember that when we don't understand and we need to trust that God is working everything out and it's out of his goodness and it's out of his love, even when he says no to you. And you know, it's not gonna feel like that 
It's going to seem painful sometimes. You're going to doubt God's love. But you can trust it's always out of his love. In fact, you should write this down. I don't have to understand God's answer to know it is motivated by love. See, I, do not, I, I don't have to understand God's answer to my prayer to know that whatever that answer is, it comes out of his heart of love. So I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. God loves you too much to give you everything you ask for. And part of what that means is that when God says no, we, we have three ways to respond. We can resist, we can resent, or we can relax. So you can resist and you can fight God and you can get mad at God and turn your back on God. I know a lot of people who don't believe in God any, anymore. They say they've walked away from God. And when you find out the reason why, it's because God didn't answer a prayer they prayed. And they, they won't accept They won't trust that God loves them and God is good. They walk away in rebellion. Second way you think you can do is you can resent. You can become bitter and doubt God's love. And there are a lot of people, maybe some of you have spent years in misery because God did not do what you asked him to do and you don't accept it and you resent him for it. Or third, you can relax. You can rest knowing that God always has your best interest at heart. And you can just pray, honestly, God, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. This is incredibly painful, God. But God, in my pain, I know this. This is not good, but I know you are good. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Second thing you should do when God says no, when in pain, pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, he goes there to pray, knowing that he's going to suffer the next day, knowing he's going to be tortured and shamed and crucified. And he doesn't want to go through that pain. And I think his, the way he prayed is instructive. It teaches us about how we can pray when we're in pain. Mark 14, 35 and 36 says, He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is praying honestly. He's saying, God, if there's any other way for the world to be saved, please, I don't want to die on the cross. And it is okay for us to pray, God, I don't want to go through this, God, I don't want to face this. I want you to notice Jesus prayed three things that we should pray when we're in pain. First of all, he affirmed God's power. He prays, Father, I know you can do anything. He knew that his Abba could take him out of that suffering, take the pain away. We should affirm God's power. Second, he asked with passion. He said, Father, please give me what I ask. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. It's okay, ask God to take away the pain. Sometimes he will, and sometimes he won't. And then third, we need to pray accepting God's plan. You need to pray, what I want most, God, is your will. You can be honest and pray, yes, I don't want to go through this suffering, and I don't want to face this problem, but what I want even more, God, is your plan, your purpose, your perspective. I want your will. And when you pray that, God smiles because he knows you're trusting him. So what should I do 
when God says no? Well, I trust in God's goodness. And I learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And then third, I expect God to give his grace to handle his answer. Well, what is grace? Well, in this case, grace is God's power to handle pain and to do what's right anyway. Again, as I've said, even the Apostle Paul did not get answered to all of his prayers. You may remember his story that Paul had something in his life that he called a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was a lifelong problem that evidently caused him great pain in his life. And he just said, God, God has blessed me so much that he gave me this problem, this thorn that won't go away so that I will remain dependent on him. And he talks about how he prayed many times asking God to take it away, and God kept saying no. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm strong. Is there something in your life that you have prayed for time and time again? And so far, God has always said no. Could it be that what he's doing is giving you grace to trust him and follow him anyway? Could it be that God's no is his invitation to you to know him more deeply? Could it be that God wants you to know him and want him more than you want that thing you're asking him to do for you? See, if God never said yes to another prayer in your life for the rest of your life, you still owe him the rest of your life. We would not be here today alive if it were not for God's grace. We would not be saved and redeemed if it were not for God's grace. And all of the things that God has done for you, if he never did another thing, you still owe him your life. He has a bigger plan and a better purpose and a bigger perspective, a greater perspective. So what have you been praying for that so far has not happened? You know, some of you have been praying, God, I just want somebody to love. I just want to be married. And as your pastor who loves you, if that's what you want, I want that for you too. And it breaks my heart when I hear of prayers like that that aren't answered. And I don't know why, but you need to remember this. When something hasn't happened yet, maybe it's because God has a bigger perspective. Maybe it's because God is protecting you from unforeseen pain. Maybe God has a better plan because your story is not over yet. Some of you went through a divorce, and that was the end of a chapter, and that chapter has ended, but it is not the end of your life story. God has not finished with you. It is the end of a chapter, not the end of the story. Uh, are you going through something else? And maybe that's the end of the chapter, but it's not the end of your life. All of us should remember that God has a greater purpose, and right now he's working on you, and he's working in you, and he's going to keep giving you the grace you need to handle his answers to you. Listen to this last verse. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, Those who know you, Lord, will trust you. You do not abandon anyone who comes to you. And if you don't trust God, when God says no, it means you don't really know him. 
Because those who know the Lord trust him. They know he's good. They know he's loving. They know they can trust him. And that's what we are going to do in our lives. That's what we're going to do individually. That's what we're going to do corporately as a church. God is good. He's always good. And we can trust him knowing that he always is loving us no matter what happens. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?